Welcome to Toronto Today. Jim Taddy reporting for the next 60 minutes. And it's after gameplay with Matthew Cause and Els Brothers. They sort out the Monday Nighter. Oh, boy. Yeah, we've got a lot of stuff to cover here. The Monday Nighter. Uh, we've got Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun talking Leafs. David Naylor uh, talking Chris Jones returning to the Argonauts and other football items. Uh, but let's deal with the Monday Nighter. And uh, Aaron Rodgers had a game, didn't he? Well, you knew he would, especially in the second half. Just looking at his line, 22-27, 255 yards, uh, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. But my image of Aaron Rodgers last night, especially in the second half, was the pinpoint passing regardless of the length of the pass. I mean, this guy was dialed in. You knew he would be. Uh, let's see, pass John Elway for 10th all-time in passing yards with 51,633. I don't go that far in my holidays. That's quite a collection of yards in passing. And again, uh, back to where he was. And, of course, uh, Aaron Jones, interesting storyline, four touchdowns, three in the air, one on the ground, had a necklace on with uh, some of his father's ashes in the necklace, um, and lost it in the end zone, so he had the grounds crew looking for uh, said necklace uh, after the game last night, but didn't seem too busted up about it because he had a career night as well with the four touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers post game talking about getting rid of the trolls. Even more now than when I started playing, there's so many overreactions that happen on a week-to-week basis. So it's nice to to come out, and have a good performance, and get the trolls off our back for at least a week. Oh, he did that. I mean, he was dialed in. And, well, for my Lions, great first half, 17-14, looking good. Uh, you know, when I watch the Lions this year and I see their head coach, I go, they should dress this guy. He's, he looks like he's the most fit Lion uh, on the roster. I mean, this guy is a, a, an imposing man uh, and trying to get his team to play rough. But, you know, uh, if you watch the uh, Eli and Peyton part of the, the broadcast, they, they said, Peyton said right off the top, what you'd exploit in the Lions is a defensive backfield because uh, there's not much there. And then, of course, they had another injury. And I think that's exactly what the Green Bay Packers did in the second half. I mean, the Lions have some voids back there. I mean, quite frankly, in the length of time that I've covered or or been a fan of the Lions, which is my entire lifetime, I could never say, man, look at that Lions defense. Never once would you ever say that, even in a ball game. It was always an offensive-driven team, and last night you saw why. They got picked apart. Let's be honest here. I don't want to belabor the Lions. This is a sad franchise and trying to make something out of it, but it was the Packers' moment. I mean, everybody going into the game, the the Monday night crew, and they did their pregame picks, nobody, and I mean nobody, (laughs) said anything about the Lions with a possibility of winning uh, this game. It just it wasn't in the cards, literally, and, and the Packers win uh, going away. So we've got a lot of ground to cover on the broadcast. And by the way, here's a breaking situation. Uh, Woj uh, tweeting out, Ben Simmons, Philadelphia 76ers all-star Ben Simmons, will not report for the opening of training camp next week and intends never to play another game uh, for the 76ers. Uh, Simmons hasn't spoken to the team since a late August meeting when he communicated this message to Sixers officials. So uh, he's going to be on the market. And Woj also says Simmons is clearly aware of sanctions available to the Sixers to fine, suspend him, including withholding of salary. But so far, Simmons appears willing to carry out the plan of forcing his way to a new team. Sixers have yet to find a trade they're willing to make for him. So this is the, you know, the ultimate uh, sort of 
quandary for anybody who has a star player they want to move is, uh, yeah, we'd like to move you. Uh, what what are we getting in return besides nothing? So obviously it, it's sort of a a, a buyer's market that way, and not a seller's market, and, and a bit of a tough one. But we'll see how that situation plays out. So there's the Monday Night Football story. Uh, we're going to have Scott Mitchell on very shortly to go over the Jays. Last night, 6-4 loss in Tampa to open the series. Um, this was one that, uh, well, could have gone the other way, and we'll explore this with Scott Mitchell. Uh, tonight they go at it again, Manoa for the Jays, and Wednesday at 3.15 the series uh, closes in Tampa, and then it's off to Minnesota for a weekend. But the bottom line is the Jays lost, Yankees won, and uh, the Red Sox were idle. So in terms of the uh, Major League Baseball wildcard race in the American uh, American League, uh, Boston has a one-and-a-half game lead. Uh, Toronto is next, and the Yankees are a slim .5 half game out. Uh, since Boston didn't play last night, that's one of the games that they had played extra, so that becomes a, a .5 uh, because the Jays lost and Boston didn't play. And the bottom line is I, th- I think you can sort of move past, and I don't know what happens over the next two games. You'd like for the Jays to win them and, and regain control of their situation, but even if they don't, it uh, should be a, an easier weekend in Minnesota and then back home for the a series against the Yankees, which will start on Tuesday, three games, and uh, then three games against Baltimore, and we're done. So 12 games left, two in Tampa, and I messed up with the math here, two in Tampa, four in Minnesota, and, and then three against the Yankees. Yes, guy, it's all adding up, and then three against Baltimore. The, the final week is at home, so opportunities knocking here. This one got away. There's no question about it. It got away from the Jays. They, they had the 2 nothing lead, and then Robbie Ray served up a three-run spot in the uh, fifth inning, and, and then the Jays, Jays rallied. We'll get into this. Let's bring in Scotty Mitchell, our Blue Jay reporter. Scotty, how are you today, sir? I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm still getting over the final out. Uh, the Valera at bat, the 3-1 pitch was, uh, well, it was, it was eye level on the catcher. That was an expansive. Uh, he went, the, the umpire was going low and then all of a sudden he went high. That was a weird call, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't think the Blue Jays overall were, were too happy with the, the, the strike zone last night. And, you know, that'll happen. I, I think, you know, you look at that pitch, it, it was, it was pretty egregious. And then you look at the, the final strike call there. I think he would have, Prefer to see Valera be a, a little bit more aggressive on that with, with, you know, what was at stake in the situation. But, you know, that, that's kind of how the, the, the cards fall sometimes. And yeah, I mean, obviously that, that ball is out of the strike zone. And, and, you know, the, the Blue Jays dugout, uh, you know, let that umpire know about it. And, you know, I, I think tonight, uh, you know, we'll probably see a little more of the same thing. I think, you know, when you see these situations where the umpire, um, you know, is a little all over the place. You, you take it into the next game and you make sure you let them know early that, uh, you know, what happened last night and you hope you can get the calls uh, going your way this time. Yeah, and I totally agree on, on the 3-2 pitch. I mean, that that should have been, uh, the bat should have been in motion there. That just caught the uh, the line on the outside of the strike zone. But that that's something that should have been, uh, there should have been an answer there from Valera, and there wasn't. And, and unfortunately, because the bases were loaded with two out, and, and the Jays have done this before, but it, it just didn't happen last night. So would you consider this an opportunity missed? Well, look, I don't know about that. I think with the way this team has played over these last kind of, you know, four or five weeks, I think, you know, they had a lot of breaks go their way and they had a lot of, uh, you know, I like to call them baseball things, uh, you know, happen in their favor. And, and baseball things last night didn't happen in their favor. And when you look at, you know, how good that team is over there and you look at Shane Boz and, you know, that guy that, uh, you know, came up last night, I mean, this, this this organization in the Rays, they just keep pumping out pitching. And, um, you know, that's uh, <laughs> definitely a concern for every other team in the AL East. 
you know, over these next few years. And I think when you look at what, uh, you know, how the Rays played last night, that's more of the team that you expect to see rather than the one we saw in Toronto a couple times last week. So, you know, I think the, you know, the Jays have, you know, been so fortunate throughout this, this streak, you know, in terms of runners in scoring position, coming up with hits in those situations. And, you know, it was completely the opposite of what it was like in, in August when they were struggling. So, you know, this is the ebb and flow of these seasons. So I don't know if I would call it a missed opportunity last night. I think, you know, you had a, a tremendously, uh, you know, powerful arm on the mound in, in, in that rookie pitcher, and you don't have much information on him. And, you know, that's really tough for, you know, even one of the best offenses in the league. It's, it's always kind of a vantage pitcher in that situation because if you haven't seen him, if you haven't faced him, uh, you know, that's tend to, uh, that tends to be how it goes sometimes. Um, you know, rookies either struggle or they get by with, uh, you know, the unknown and the mystery factor. And I think that's kind of what we saw last night. Yeah, Boz, uh, five innings. Uh, you know, he did allow a couple of home runs, but uh, I, I think he got tagged for two home runs, didn't he? But but bottom line is he, uh, I mean, he had poison, and his stuff was, was live, wasn't it? Yeah, two solo shots, and, and you know, that's the thing. You kind of got to limit the damage like that. And, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think everyone's talked about this trade so, so much. And when you get Boz, you got, uh, you know, Tyler Glasnow, you've got um, – you know, Austin Meadows, these three guys that you, you plucked from the Pirates organization for, for Chris Archer, uh, you know, that's the type of trade that is, has completely changed, uh, you know, both of those franchises. I mean, you know, the fact that, that Boz is the last one to arrive and, and could potentially be the best one. And, and, you know, that's saying a lot considering Glasnow was, was my Cy Young pick this year. And, you know, it was kind of looking like a decent one until he, he uh, obviously went down with the elbow injury. So, um, you know, the, the Rays just keep rolling. And, you know, I, I think when you look at where the Blue Jays are in, in terms of, you know, kind of the developmental cycle, they're not far behind either. I think, you know, the, the Rays have clearly um, found a, a knack for developing, developing pitching that I, I don't know that anyone else in, in baseball outside of maybe the Dodgers and, and maybe even the Giants now at this point, um, you know, can say, um, they've figured out, and I think that's the next step for this Blue Jays team is, is to be able to continue to pump out those Alec Manoas, those Shane Bozzes, those, those um, you know, top-notch pitching prospects, because a lot of them won't work out, but uh, when they do, man, it, it's a completely franchise-changing thing. Yeah, uh, Manoa goes tonight uh, against the Rays, and uh, he's done rather well. I mean, this is a great story, isn't it? Yeah, Manoa has completely changed, uh, you know, kind of the look of, of this rotation. And, you know, you, you, we go way back to, to January, February, March, and, you know, this is what everyone was talking about. And, you know, Robbie Ray wasn't a Cy Young contender. Jose Barrios wasn't around. And, and Manoa was still just a, a prospect that, you know, most people thought was, was probably, um, you know, at least a year off in, into 2022. So when you consider those three, um, you know, kind of transformations in this rotation and, and what they've done, um, you know, it's obviously put them in the position they're in right now. And, and we're talking about this as a, a potential postseason team because of this rotation. And when you look at Manoa, the fact that he was just drafted two calendar years ago and, really um, didn't pitch in the minor leagues because of obviously the situation last year with the pandemic and the cancellation. And, you know, the fact that he's doing what he's doing and, and doing it so consistently um, is not only just a, a, you know, a huge boon to this team this year, but, you know, heading down the road, you, you got six years of control on this guy and, you know, you never know with pitchers, but um, from what everybody's seen and, and the stuff that he's shown early on in his career and, and his command and his, and his poise and effectiveness, 
um, you know, you, you've got a, a, a long-term rotation piece there, and, and we'll see where it goes from here because, you know, there, there's still upside, and, you know, the fact that he can go out there every every fifth day and, and pitch into the sixth, seventh inning with um, no-hit stuff regularly, it's, um, you know, pretty impressive, and, um, yeah, it's going to be a great uh, story to track as, as he tries to develop that changeup and, and take the next step from, you know, what looks like really good mid-rotation starter to potential ace. Uh, just to sort of close off the the loss last night, I mean, you, you tend to maybe not you, but but I think a lot of people tend to overreact to the loss because it was there for the taking. Uh, and the Robbie Ray performance wasn't his normal self. But having said that, you know, uh, the game was uh, decided in the top of the ninth, so it's sort of almost a free pass. Although you, you you tend to really scrutinize Robbie Ray because there are Cy Young opportunities, and you scrutinize the Jays because there are wild card opportunities. So you have to sort of temper all that, don't you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, every game is absolutely huge at this point. And, you know, every every loss is a missed opportunity. But when you look at what they've done to, to get themselves back in this mix, and obviously the Rays are a very good team, 93 wins now. I think that's third most in, in baseball, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, you you can't take anything for granted against the Rays with, with how good they are. And, you know, like I said, I think Boz, you know, having a, an effect with, um, you know, really no information on him. I, I think that's just how you have to look at it. But, um, you know, right now this team can't afford any losing streaks either. You can't go and, and lose three or four games in a row or you're going to find yourself quickly looking uh, on the outside looking in at that, at that uh, wild card picture. So, um, you know, big one tonight for Manoa, even bigger one tomorrow because, um, you know, they need to, to bounce back in a hurry with, uh, you know, the amount of games left in the schedule and with how packed tightly these standings are. So, um, you know, any, four, any kind of three or four game losing streak right now is, is just a, a death blow to any of these teams in, in this wild card mix. So, um, you know, you, you wish you would have got that one with your ace on the hill on, on Monday night, but, um, you know, you, you regroup and you, you absolutely have to probably get this one tonight. And tomorrow would have been Ryu's start, but but it's not going to be. And, and so there's a lot of talk about more this being more about rest than, than any kind of injury. And, and I guess regardless whether it's an injury or rest, whenever he comes back, he's got to make an an instant contribution. Uh, what's your level of concern here? Well, I, I think there is concern just with how um, up and down he's been for essentially three months now. You you, you date back to I think it's his June fourth start. And, you know, after getting blown up for, for five runs the other night and, and hitting the IL, he's, he's got a, an ERA well over five since June. So, you know, that, that's, that's really concerning. And when you look at, uh, you know, the neck injury right now, not a whole lot of concern. I think, like you said, definitely more of, you know, trying to give him a breather, trying to get him right physically. Um, and then hoping to get him back in, in 10 days and, and, you know, allow him to get at least one, two starts and, and see what he can potentially contribute. You know, I, I think if you're in a, obviously a wild card series, it's going to be Robbie Ray. He's lined up at this point. But, you know, if you do get into a postseason series, there's a chance you need Hunjin Ryu. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. And, and his performance down the stretch here when he does come off the IL is going to be tremendously important to, to figuring out what kind of role he can play if you do get into a, a division series with the race. What are your expectations for Springer returning to the outfield? Well, that's an interesting one. They're obviously trying to make sure that he's 100% and, and really just trying to get everything they can out of him right now in, in terms of, obviously, offensive production at the top of the lineup. So, um, you know, when you look at uh, the knee, um, you know, I, I think it was a, a little more serious than 
then, you know, people thought, and I, I think he probably, um, you know, wasn't really no anywhere close to 100% when he returned. So if he's going to be a liability in the outfield, there's no reason to put him out there. But I, I know he did some outfield work last week in Toronto. Um, you know, he felt a, a little bit better. But, you know, I think when you have Randall Gritchick, you have Corey Dickerson, you have some guys that can play out there, um, you're going to give uh, Springer as much time as possible. You, you hope to get him back by the end of the regular season, though, because your optimal lineup in, in most circumstances is Springer in center at the top of the lineup, which allows you to use that DH spot in, in different ways. And, and ideally, probably Alejandro Kirk is, is a DH in a lot of situations and a lot of lineup structures. So um, you obviously can't do that when, when George Springer uh, you know, needs to be the DH. So it, it'll open up some possibilities. But right now, essentially, you know, their favorite term with George Springer, essentially since March, has been you know, day-to-day and that's where it is. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he could make it back in, in two weeks out there. But again, no certainty at this point. And, you know, it's really just all about is he a liability in center field and, and you know, is he 100%. Uh, reporting the Toronto Star yesterday, the Leafs and Raptors planning to play in front of full capacity crowds subject to provincial approval. And according to Rob Longley in the Sun, the Jays would like to do the same. What's your read on that situation? Yeah, I've heard those same rumblings for a month now that, you know, they're obviously trying to, to get, um, you know, an attendance bump. Why, why wouldn't you? It's, it's revenue. It's the atmosphere. It's, it's everything you, you want at this point. So, um, yeah, I've heard the, the, the kind of the same rumblings, the same numbers. And, uh, you know, obviously this is, uh, you know, nothing that we haven't dealt with over these last 18 months. So they'll talk to the province and they'll try to work out, um, you know, work around the regulations and, and try to figure it out that way. But, you know, I, I think when you look at, you know, what they've done, 15,000, um, I think, what, 47, 49 is, is um, you know, capacity in there these days. So I wouldn't be surprised if, um, especially if they get into any sort of playoff scenario that, you know, there's a... a a, a significant jump in attendance but again we know how these work with regulations and provincial guidelines and things like that and sometimes they don't line up with the baseball calendar so you know we'll, we'll see but I, I think when you look at you know what's happened and and you know the way things are trending but, but yeah I think um, you know if there's a postseason game played in there I would expect it to be around 30,000. Scott thanks very much appreciate it. All right Jim anytime take care man. That's Scotty Mitchell, our Blue Jay reporter. So the Jays against the Rays tonight. Manoa goes for the Bluebirds. And uh, Wednesday, 3.15 is the start. And then off to Minnesota. Uh, as I said before, the wild card standings as we mumble. Boston in by a game and a half. And the Jays are next. But the Yankees hovering only a half game out. And that brings us to what could happen at the ball yard next week when the Yankees come to town for three games. Uh, that could be a, a, an everything or nothing series. Well, it won't be a nothing series. It's going to be an everything series series one way or the other and uh sort of simmering off to the side oakland two games out uh, so you know plenty of, there's 12 games left plenty of possibilities here and i think we all remain positive you don't want to overanalyze the loss last night it was there for the taking uh in a, in a funny sort of a way at the end but having said that it didn't work out and and you retool and, and uh, look for uh manoa to do a job tonight and tomorrow's a bit of a question mark because that was reused start so they're going to shuffle things around and uh, sort of a greatest hits album on on the uh the mound for the jays in the series closer tomorrow afternoon then again as i said off to minnesota so other stuff we're going to talk about coming up next terry koshan from the toronto sun i I did some math here and and, you know there's 
On the 23-man roster, they're $1.4 million over. So, so something has to happen that way. I, I broke this down into 11 forwards uh, that are question marks or that are not necessarily question marks in a negative sense, but, but you don't know exactly where they fit. Uh, I have uh, Matthews and Marner, obviously, Tavares and Nylander, and, and understand that Matthews might not be there at the very start, and then Spetsa and Simmons. These are, I call these known quantities. So there's six guys that you know exactly what to expect from and if you're going to carry 12 or 13 forwards that it's probably 12 because of the budget um, then you've got uh, of the 11 let's do some math here you got five guys and all these names that i could rhyme off here that that won't be around for obvious reasons because there's just too many numbers here so here are the guys that 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 it's going to be fascinating to watch and see how they morph into maple leafs richie bunting gusev on a pto kasha um can't read my own writing. Uh, so, uh, Camp, Brooks, Robertson, Josh Hosang, and, uh, Gabriel was the guy. I couldn't read my own writing. So all these guys, Hosang on, on a PTO. Robertson likely because he's waiver friendly, uh, is sort of an, I look at him as an insurance policy. Even if he has a great camp, you can always keep him there in case some of these other guys don't work up. But there's going to be like an open audition that could go on for a month or two meaning that these guys sort of have to play themselves out of the situation. Uh, and then you've got Engvall, don't know exactly where he fits in. Kerfoot, obviously great insurance, and if Matthews isn't around at the start, you see that. And Mikheyev, where where do these guys fit? I mean, they're, they're all NHL players. I'm going to say that uh, every one of these guys could play on another NHL team. But where do they play on the lease? Because it has to be a specific fit. So, I mean, I, I kind of like this. There's so many options here. You've got 11 guys basically fighting for six jobs. Uh, you've got the, the top four. You know what they're going to do. Uh, you've got a couple guys, veterans, Spezza and Simmons, sprinkled in there. And, I mean, the possibilities are could be fantastic or not. And that is the big question mark. Terry Koshan will join us next from the Toronto Sun. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live in your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. Toronto Today, Jim Taddy reporting to one. Then it's gameplay with Matthew Cause and Al's brother. Dave Naylor will join us in the next segment talking about football, the Argos hiring Chris Jones and, and other stuff. But right now, let's deal with the Leafs. Terry Koshan is here from the uh, Toronto Sun. Terry, welcome. How are you today, sir? Well, maybe he's not there. Hmm. Yeah, Terry, are you there? I'm here. Hello? Yep. There I'm you here. are. Okay, sorry, guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's it's probably almost, probably reading your fine article. The kinks out. Yeah, you're probably reading your own article in the Toronto Sun, a fine article it is, uh, going through um, the Leafs prospects and, and how this could shake out. And, and you've done a nice job going from, from top to bottom. Just, just as an, an overview, as I said, uh, going into the last break, I mean, a glut, a literal glut of forwards all battling for four or five spots, and you've got people like Enval Kerfoot and Mikheyev that could really, you know, help things out by doing specific things to sort of clear the page for the, for the left wing to develop. What's your take on all that? I mean, the numbers are startling in terms of, uh, you know, how many people are there. Yeah, there are a lot, and, you know, and then the Leafs, uh, you know, I had Nikita Gusev on a PTO last week, late last week, Jim, and, and then to me, that's the, the probably the biggest question going into camp is, is how does that all shake out? And that really on the left side. Look, we know we know what Matthews is going to do. We know what Marner. You know, once Matt's wrist issue, Marner's going to do the top those those top four. We know what their capabilities are. 
and all this sort of thing. Spets on the fourth line, um, you know, defense is more or less the same. But uh, there's a lot of people vying for those spots and newcomers and and, uh, and incumbents, like you say. And, and, and I don't know, I, I guess, you know, the beauty of the six-game preseason, and, and by the end you'll want to have your roster set by the last game. But, you know, Sheldon Keefe will move some parts around and see what fits where. But uh, to me, that's what it is. I mean, it, you know, we, I know one of the uh, shiny questions going is the camp is how do you replace Zach Hyman? Well, I don't think you do. Uh, no one person will do that. You just hope that whether it's, you know, Nick Ritchie with the top two of uh, Martin and Matthews and, or Bunting or anybody, McKayev, you just hope that it, you get it right and, and you go from there. But, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to be settled here, uh, certainly in the next three weeks. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's that's the big narrative. How do you replace Zach Hyman? And I think you'd agree. I mean, what you do is you put on the table all his attributes, and you realize there was only one, uh, which mm-hmm. was, oddly enough, a liability. There was only one Zach Hyman. So if you could take those attributes and apply it to four or five guys and get little bits of Zach Hyman out of everybody, it, it sort of works, doesn't it? It does, but, you know, you still, you're still you missing that complete player. And, and you know, I, I just... I don't know, uh, you know, the, the one thing that Hyman did, especially with Marner and Matthews, was, you know, help them be better hockey players. And right now, the group that we're looking at, uh, no matter who it is, you don't see something similar in, in those people. I mean, you're going to be asked, say if it's Nick Ritchie, you're going to be asking him to play more minutes than he's ever played in the National Hockey League. Uh, Bunting is, you know, 26 games in the NHL, and that's it. But, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, uh you know, this this is you know this is uh, you don't want to say it's up uh, it's up the Leafs' own doing that they're in the spot, but it is to a degree. Uh, you know, when you stick with those people up front and and the contracts that they have, uh, this is what you uh, wind up with. You're trying to you know plug the holes properly, and and you really don't know on paper how that's going to get done. Um, but you know, I guess the one the one thing is the one one positive for sure, Jim, going into all this is that. Sheldon Keith does have a lot of options, so you're not going to be locked into something for the first on ice sessions on Thursday, and that'll be that. Uh, there's going to, I think, there's going to be some moving parts here through camp in the next few weeks. Yeah. So, in, in terms of the options, I mean, uh, what's yeah. what's going to happen on the left side is is totally negotiable. Uh, what's going to happen with with Rasmus Sandin is totally negotiable, and I, and I tie the, the both of them together because literally in, in both scenarios, you have to let the player find his way, which mean, tells me that you know for the first two months of the season, you're, you may be a little tolerant of of things because the the person has to grow into the job. Would you agree? Agreed completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As much as I see that, you know, Keith can say, okay, move some things around. If he's not like it, you have to be patient as well from his side, and it's going to be finding that balance, right? And as far as the guy yeah. that Sandine goes, I mean, I think that's, you know, if, if to me the, the, the biggest issue, I don't even know if they're issues, Jim, but the questions, whatever you want to call them, with the start of camp is, you know, that left side. How does that shake down? Peter Mrazek, um, you know, what kind of goaltending tandem are we going forward? And then you're right on the blue line. It does to what degree does Rasmus Sandin blossom this year and take perhaps some of the pressure off, you know, what do you do with Morgan Riley next summer or during the season? Um, you know, I think that that's going to be a, a bit of a fascinating aspect of all this is, is what happens with Sandin in a blue line. You know, does he uh, settle into that third-pairing role, probably with Travis Dermott uh, quite nicely? Uh, you'd think that he's ready for it now. Um, you know, he's, he didn't play in a ton of games last year, of course, but... Um, to me, that that'll be 
you know, that that's going to be one of the things here that's going to, you know, uh, that, that again, Sheldon Keefe is going to have to be patient with. And, and that's not always easy to do with a young defenseman, right? Uh, so we'll have to see how that goes. But, um, you know, it's the, 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 the D is interesting because I, I really like the top four. I like Muzzin. I like Riley, Brody, Hall. I, you know, and Dermot and Sandine, I think, should work well together. But once you get past that, there's not a ton of depth. I mean, Alex Biega and Carl Bellstrom are here on, on two-way contracts, and, and perhaps you go to one of them. You know, Timothy Lilligren, is it a make-or-break camp for him? It could be, uh, you know. So we'll have to see how it all goes. But Sandine, I think, is a real X factor for the Leafs in the blue line to start and through the season. Yeah, absolutely. You have to see what you what you have there. I mean, he's a first round pick. He's uh, got high high offensive upside, and, and maybe he develops into something special or or not. But yeah, you have to sort of come to that conclusion. I'm going to throw another theory at you. Uh, years ago, in a series against Boston, the Bruins exploited the right side of the Leafs blue line, and over a couple of years, they had a lot of bodies in and out of there, and they finally fixed that. And, and I like what they did. I think it was a two year run at fixing that problem. The right side of that blue line is is pretty darn good, and, and so is the left really um, so now we're dealing with the same type of a situation on the forward unit on on the left side would you compare those repair jobs in, in any way shape or form that that really i don't know if it happens this year but certainly over the next two years i, I think and i actually kind of like what they're doing this year i think that left side will repair itself with what they have i think it will to a degree but on the on the other hand too um you know, one of the ways that you were able to fix the things in the blue line is you, you had a hell of a signing last year in TJ Brody. And I don't see that caliber yeah. of player being signed for the forward group right now. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, somebody's not going to emerge from this, but as of right now, as of right now, just, you know, looking back at what Brody brought and really helped solidify that side, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if they necessarily have something similar in that way that's going to help solidify to that degree, uh, the left side. Now, Nick Ritchie would probably argue with me about that, and so would a few of these other people. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev, uh, Jim, is a guy who asked for a trade at the end of last season. It didn't happen. Look, you're going to get a better opportunity, so so to speak. Okay, well, then go out and grab it and do something with it and show us why you thought you might have been attractive to another club via trade. Um, you know, So I think there's something on Mikheyev's shoulders to try to get this right. But, you know, I... I, I like I said, I think one real positive here is they do have a lot of options. People are going to come out of it. I don't think it's going to be an issue for Keith at Christmas time. You know, kind of, you know, rubbing his forehead and worry about what's happening here on his left side. I think people will come into it. It's just right now the uncertainty is you don't know who those people are going to be. I mean, on paper we have an idea, but we have to let this play out because you're asking people to do things they haven't necessarily done before. But you're right. I think you know they solidified that. Uh, that area on the blue line on the right side, um, you know, Justin Hall, I think, is, is a real, real capable defender with, with Nelson, obviously. And I've already discussed Brody. And, and now, you know, in order for them to do what they want to do next spring, they, they've got to get this right on the left side. And like I said, they've got the options. We just now have to sit back and see who it's going to be that comes, comes and grabs a hold of these things. And Nick Robertson, I haven't mentioned him either, but he's another guy that I think you throw into that mix at least for camp to start, Jim, and see where he goes. 
Well, I'm going to nickname him Flex because I think that, and I think you and I have talked about this before, uh, <laughs> I think that he has the ability to absolutely upset the apple cart if he can sort of hit the ground running. You know, he's already done that in the, the development camp and at the prospects tournament. That uh, I'm not suggesting that he would make the roster, but because he's waiver protected, he could be a nice insurance policy long term over the course of this season if all that mixing and matching up front doesn't work out. He, uh, in, in fact, if you wanted to get really optimistic, if he was to make the team, um, he could absolutely upset the depth chart. Oh, completely. There's no doubt. And I think he would probably tell you the same thing, that that is the goal. To, you know, if there's, if there's a, uh, a written on napkin plan right now to have Robertson perhaps play in the AHL at the Marty's and tear it up, he's going to look at you and say, well, I'm going to, you know, try to ensure that that doesn't happen and come in and have the best camp I've had with this club. And this is after he's had a few good ones in the past. And, you know, I'm with you on that. He's, he's hitting the ground running in a sense because he has had the, uh, you know, the um, the play in Michigan now over the past weekend. Playing in game situations is, is playing in a rookie tournament comparable to trying to earn a spot with a National Hockey League club that is a good team. Well, not really, but he still has that game mentality now that a lot of the other people is going to be competing against won't have had from coming from the, the, the informal skates that we've had uh, leading up to this. But if I'm Nick Robertson, I don't look at the, and I don't think there's no way that he would look at this, look at it like this because he's not that type of person, but I don't look at the, all these additions the Leafs have made and said, okay, now I'm kind of screwed. I'm in tough here. This isn't going to happen. Um, I'm looking at it going, okay, how many people can I, can I knock off, uh, you know, alleged purchase at this point going into camp and going through camp. I think he's going to be really motivated. I think there's a real potential for him to do something because like we say, these guys, they're not, this is not all, uh, you know, solidified here. There, there is some, there are some open spots there and Nick Robs Nick Robertson, sorry, absolutely has to be considered one of the, one of the candidates for it. No matter, no matter what the plan may or may not be for him and, and the American hockey league this season. Uh, let's talk about a speed bump, and that's the Matthews injury, which really affects the development of the chemistry of who is ever going to be anointed to play on the left side of his line. Um, what do you expect? Like, when will he be ready? Well, he's you know, he said he's hopeful for game one of the regular season, which three weeks from now. We're going to have a better idea once the players hit the ice and, and uh, you know, uh, see where he is in that regard, if he is at all. I know that, you know, while after the surgery he had in mid-August, he wasn't on the ice. So there's going to be some of that catching up to do for him. But, uh, you know, you're right. I, I think it's more of what's the trickle-down effect. Because I think once Matthews comes back, I don't think there's going to be a worry. I mean, he's shown in the past, Jim, when he's come back from injury, it hasn't taken him long at all to kind of get back into the groove of things. Yes, a player needs to get his timing and all that back, no matter what caliber of player he is, and Matthews to be in that group. But traditionally, he hasn't been coming off injury, and you're looking at him going, when's this going to happen? He gets back quick. The thing is here is, you're right. Now, what happened? What's the impact on the rest of the line? So you just plug in somebody at his spot right now, if he's not ready to go uh, at full tilt, for the on ice since Thursday, and then you know we'll remove that person when when uh, Matthews is ready to go, or do you kind of jostle the lines in other ways as well? We'll have to see, but I think that's probably the bigger the bigger thing right now is what does it do to everybody else? Not not so much Matthews himself because I don't think there's going to be much of an issue when he does get back. And you know the guys the guys going to be playing with a surgically repaired wrist, one that lingered with a problem all last year, and he still led the league in goals. 
So, you know, I, I, I think he'll come back at, uh, you know, whether he's 100% or not, but the Matthews we've seen, it's what happens below him that uh, could be a bit iffy for a bit here to get going. Terry, a couple of items here that I, I think are really key to, to what happens. First of all, the, the goaltending tandem, and I think everybody that covers the Leafs is, uh, you know, happy to see it. Uh, having said that, how good is it within their own division? Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, it can be great, but there's no Vasilevsky here, and there's no Carey Price at the top of his game in Toronto either. Um, so, you know, we'll have to see if those are factors or not. And, you know, down in Florida, does Sergei Verbosky come back this year and do the things that he's capable of? You know, they have the uh, the young kid there in night as well that, you know, is ready to uh, to, to take the next step. So that's going to be interesting, Jim, to me. But I, having said that, um, as much as I say you don't have the Vezina-type goalie that they might have in Tampa or Montreal, I think Jack Campbell is capable of really good things this year. Like he took steps forward last year. And as much as the Leafs are looking at this and saying, okay, well, We've signed Peter Mrazek with the with the intention of this being a tandem, um, a one A one B. I think Jack Campbell is going to be awfully motivated. As much as he's a team guy, there's, there's no denying that he's going to be awfully motivated to come in and be that number one guy and, and you know play the bulk of the games, start the bulk of the games as long as he's healthy. You know, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. I mean, obviously, if you're you're signing a, a someone of Razik's uh, of talent to the contract that you did, you know, you're probably looking at you know 30 plus starts for him. But I would imagine in Campbell, Campbell's going to hold up his end of the of the deal when he is in net. And uh, you know, it, it's again, it's a, it's a it's a, curio- a point of curiosity though because it's, it's something that Campbell hasn't done over the long haul. Like, you know, his career high for starts in the season is 26. So that's not a lot. Certainly, Mrazek has more has had more than that. But um, you know, Campbell's earned this opportunity last year to uh, to be that guy for them, and I think he will be. He's just not you know on the caliber of those other two people that I've mentioned. Uh, one other sore spot, and only because when it functions, it is stunningly good and impressive, and when it mm-hmm. sputters, it, you have to look away. That That's the power play. I mean, it, it started gangbusters and then just, just did a slow fade in, into uh, the neutral zone drop pass on a steamboat count, which is just tough to watch. And w- yeah. What do you think their approach will be to this this year? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say because we know that for the most part, the personnel is not going to change on it, right? Do you... Do you load up one and kind of take a step back on the other? Uh, I don't know. It's I think that's going to be curious as well to see how they end up going with with this uh, with the power play through camp and, and into uh, you know the regular season. But um, I suppose the the one the one bonus, if you will, or positive, Jim, if you're looking at it, is the personnel is there and it should work. And I, I think that. It will work because it it, it 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 can't continue on the path that it's gone on. It doesn't make any sense um, because the, the people on it are, are just too good. They're too talented, and you know whether it's actually you know a technical thing of, of moving the puck around quicker and and, and, and trying to get more so what a shots whatever it's going to be, um, you know you have to look at it as working at an advantage now. No matter what the power play hasn't done for you, that you're coming back with most of the same people on it and. You know, um, because I'll have another crack at it. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I just think that, you know, the, the personnel they have and, you know, if they can do a lot of the things they do five on five, we've seen how good the Leafs have been. We're good at five on five last year. That should bleed into your power play. And, you know, hit reset on it. You know, we can look back at last year and say, okay, well, here's the things that it didn't do. 
but hit reset on it now and, and try to you know forget that any of those things didn't go for you and start afresh and see where it goes and just you know keep your fingers crossed I suppose that at least in the early going it doesn't become an Achilles heel for you but there's too many good players here for it to be that way and as confounding as it's been I think it'll write itself Terry thanks very much really appreciate it thanks for having me Jim our pleasure always, Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun. And on the way out, here's a, a stat from his piece in the Sun. Leafs defense uh, allowed 2.64 goals against seventh in the NHL last year, down from 3.1726th in the league 2019-20. That might be the most underrated thing about this team is you know defensive responsibility because you're caught up in in the three games against Montreal when you had the 3-1 series lead and, and it sort of negated a fine regular season, a great regular season, and uh, in, a, in a weird uh, pandemic-altered uh, schedule. But, you know, there's that commitment, and John Tavares led the way with that commitment to defense that you'd like to see. I'm sure that will continue more this year, and you want to see what the benefits of that are. So Leafs Camp, by the way, opens tomorrow. Medicals and media session, and then on to the regular workouts on, on Thursday. Leaf preseason schedule kicks off Saturday against the Habs at Scotiabank Arena Live here on TSN 1015. One other very important piece to the Leafs, Leafs Lunch returns before the start of the lease season right here on TSN 1050. Up next, David Naylor talking football. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. Toronto Today, Jim Taddy reporting until the top of the hour that it's gameplay with Matthew Cause and Al's brothers. They sort out... All kinds of edges, if you will. Let's talk football with David Naylor now, our TSN Football Insider. David, welcome. How are you today, sir? Very well. Beautiful day uh, at Argonaut practice this afternoon. And Chris Jones added as a defensive consultant. And I mean, Chris Jones's credentials are impeccable. Uh, I think you had a piece that said he'd never been fired. I mean, this, this is a this is a, a unique individual to say the least, isn't he? Yeah, you spend 20 years with multiple teams in the Canadian Football League and parts of multiple staffs. You figure at some point you're going to get caught in the vortex of getting fired somewhere. But Chris Jones actually never has. Uh, he, he was he came into the CFL as a defensive assistant under Don Matthews in Montreal, then went to John Huffnagel's staff in Calgary, then went to Scott Milanovic's staff in Toronto, and uh, you know then the head coach in Edmonton, head coach in Saskatchewan to the National Football League, and now back here in Toronto. So he, he has a very large shadow, you know, metaphorically speaking. Uh, he's got a large presence. Uh, you know, he, and I'm, it's funny, one of the real questions we're interested in here is who's going to run the defense? Because the Argonauts have a veteran coach in Rich Stubler on the defensive side of the ball who's been with them all season. And uh, just watching practice today, uh, it it really, Jones and Stubler have been standing together on the sidelines, neither of them out on the field, sort of among the defense. It's have been linebacker coach Kevin Iben and uh, another defensive assistant, Mark Nelson, that have been doing most of the stuff on field. So optically, we can't really get a sense of who's going to be in charge, but I think that's one of the intriguing things to sort of watch play out here. Well, and, and you know, given the, the roster that the Argos have, there's some really good defensive players, and given Chris Jones's history, I mean, this is a pretty good marriage, isn't it? Well, it is. And, I, you know, I think the Argonauts have a, have a really good defensive line. I mean, you know, the, Charleston Hughes, who was the CFL sack leader last season, hasn't had a great year. But, I mean, they've brought in some guys who have, you know, who really had a presence. I mean, uh, Eli Harrell, who was a third-round pick in the NFL, came out as a junior. 
I mean, Sean Oakman, who's a, a monstrous, I mean, 6'7", 293 defensive lineman. And, and they've got a very athletic uh, linebacking core as well. So I think that's kind of what you're getting at here is sort of the intrigue of, of a lot of very high-end talent on defense. And this has been a defense that's played pretty well thus far. Uh, they haven't been dominant, but they've played pretty well. And so what can Chris Jones do uh, if he gets some of those tools in his hands? And, and you know, I think – Chris is known as a guy who's not afraid to be aggressive. You know, he, he will bring the heat more than some defense, defensive coaches will. And, uh, you know, that's not necessarily the style of Rich Stubler, but we'll see what a hybrid of, of these two uh, will produce for the Argonauts. You know, it's funny. When we talk football, I know that the, obviously the offense gets, gets all the headlines, yep. and, and that's what decides the game. But I'm a firm believer that if you have an airtight defense, it can cover up uh, some warts on the offense. And, and this guy is, is the guy. I mean, he, he is Mr. Airtight, isn't he? Well, he, he is. And, that, and that's kind of been the, you know, the kind of times that Chris's teams have been. I mean, he, runs, he has had very athletic, physical players on defense, usually a lot of speed. And, and Chris's teams have kind of been – you know, I don't say always defense first, but that's that's been the identity, I think, of more of his teams. Even if you think of his time in Saskatchewan, where they they struggled, you know, when Zach Caleros was playing through injuries, and uh, you know, the offense never really got completely on track when he was there. Uh, but defensively, that was that was what kept them you know, kept them in games. So, you know, I think I think with the Argonauts coming off a season in 2019 where they just won four games, I mean, it was back to back four win seasons. It's been a good leap forward for this team already. But are they elite on either side of the ball? No, they're not. And maybe with a younger quarterback in, in Nick Arbuckle, that's, that's a lot to ask, even though he's got a lot of talent around him. But I think there's you know, you, the expectation that Chris Jones might be able to take this defense to a higher level over the course of the second half of the season I don't think is unrealistic. Uh, on the way out, David, we're limited for time here, but you've got a piece coming up on TSM about the Canadian talent in the NFL. I, I find it very intriguing. Help us understand what this is about. Well, I think one of the things that you, you look at is, you know, when, when, when you and I were kids, Jim, there was one Canadian in the National Football League, I believe, and it was Roy Gorella, the kicker for the Steelers. Yep. <laughs> you may have already been a teenager then, and I was a kid. Um, you know, and he, he played a bit of high school football in Alberta, I think, and that, that's what qualified him as a Canadian, you know. And, so, and, so, and, and one of the things that you look at right now is not only more Canadians in the National Football League, but seeing more of them you know, matriculate to the, to the skill positions or the more athletic positions, like Chuba Hubbard you know, with the Carolina Panthers, like Chase Claypool with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, those are, those are kind of the, the new breed, and we've got a sort of wave of those guys coming up at the collegiate level as well. So there really has been, you know, a, a sort of broadening of the numbers of Canadians getting to the National Football League and the roles that they play uh, that we haven't, we're not traditional, no, we're, not, we're not used to seeing. I can't wait for the piece. I mean, we are now cranking out literally in all sports that 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 were non-traditional to Canadians, athletes that we've never seen the likes of before. It's fascinating stuff, isn't it? Well, it is. And you know what? It coincides with, I believe it's two years ago, for the first time, the National Hockey League was less than 50% Canadian. So, you know, when, again, going back to when you and I were much younger, the league was 90% Canadian. Now, we can all remember that. And so I think what we've really seen as the biggest change in sport in, in Canada in my, over the course of my lifetime is that we've gone from a nation that produced almost exclusively hockey players and a, a few rare athletes in other sports every now and then. But they were kind of like, you know, you better enjoy this now because another one of these isn't going to be coming along. But as we just saw in the U.S. Open in tennis, you know, as we see at the Olympics, uh, as we've seen in the NFL, the NBA, uh, you know, this is a so much more diverse country in terms of the types of athletes we produce in the sports where they excel.
Dave, I like how in the second time you were trying to say I'm older than you, you did it much more, uh, yeah, much more with much more class. Is what I'm trying well, to say. Well, here's, here's another way I can put it, Jim. You were one of my idols when I was trying to get into this business. <laughs> so there you we'll, go. End, we'll, we'll end it on that. Thanks very much, Dave. <laughs> Take care. Dave, Dave Naylor, TSN, uh, sorry, CFL and TSN Football Insider, uh, among other things, of course. Uh, so a couple of things have happened here while we were mumbling there. Alice Galchenyuk has uh, signed a PTO of the Coyotes, uh, according to Pierre Lebrun, and the Raptors have signed a couple of players, Sui Mikhailik, uh, Mikhailik, uh and uh, it's a multi-year deal, and, and Reggie Perry. So uh, the Raptors bulking up, and in uh, the remaining seconds, just enough time to remind you that uh, heavy leaf coverage tomorrow, uh, the medicals and media stuff for the Leafs will go on, and then camp uh, opens officially on ice uh, the following day. And just a reminder that Saturday, Montreal at Scotiabank Arena, yes, that fast, live here on TSN 1050. And, of course, Leafs lunch will return uh, just before the start of the uh, Leafs season. So it's on the way back. Don't have a firm date for you yet, but it's on the way back, and and I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll uh, enjoy uh, the new look on, on Leafs lunch. So coming up next, it'll be... Uh, gameplay with Matthew Cause. That's next. Thanks for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed our broadcast today, and we'll chat again tomorrow. Enjoy your afternoon.